are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, April 6, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News. Game over. CU ends its controversial sports betting deal by Will Matuska, April 6, 2023. Peggy Brown calls it a, quote, silent killer, unquote. Quote, what I know is that when it gets to problematic behavior, it'll affect every aspect of the gambler's life and can lead to isolation, depression, anxiety, and possible suicide, unquote says Brown, president of the Problem Gambling Coalition of Colorado. The organization works to increase awareness, advocate for treatment, and promote research and education for individuals and communities impacted by problem gambling. According to the University of Villanova, gambling disorder has the highest suicide rate out of any addiction. The National Council on Problem Gambling, NCPG, estimates 2 million U.S. adults have, quote, severe, unquote, gambling problems in a given year, with another 4 to 6 million considered to have moderate problems. After legalization in 2019, Colorado is one of more than 35 states to pass sports betting bills. The state collected $12.4 million in taxes from sports betting in 2022, according to the Division of Gaming. In 2020, the University of Colorado made a $1.6 million deal with the sports betting company PointsBet that allowed the company to advertise its products on campus and at sporting events through 2026. The original deal included a $30 referral bonus to the university when anyone signed up on the PointsBet site using a CU promo code. The referral bonus stopped in January 2023. The partnership between CU and PointsBet was the first high-profile sports gambling deal in major college athletics, but a New York Times investigation found that at least eight universities have partnered with online sports betting companies. But the deal between CU and PointsBet abruptly ended on March 27. CU declined to comment further. Brown says she was, quote, thrilled, unquote, when she heard the news. Quote, sanctioned betting has no place on a collegiate campus, unquote, she says. Rolling the dice. 
One study published in The Recovery Village found that one in 20 college students meet the criteria for compulsive gambling and that its rate among college students is more than double the rate of the overall adult population. Quote, something that starts out so recreational for fun and excitement all of a sudden becomes a compulsion, unquote, says Brown. Quote, and to maintain that level of excitement, the gambler has to increase the frequency and amount of the bet to get the same dopamine rush, unquote. The Shirley Povich Center for Sports Journalism and the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism at the University of Maryland reported Keith White, the executive director of NCPG, said students' vulnerability to sports betting is linked to various factors, including the underdevelopment of the brain's prefrontal cortex, which controls impulsive behavior and isn't fully developed until age 25. When Boulder Weekly inquired about how CU tracks if signs of problem gambling were developing in students, Assistant Director of Communications Andrew Sorensen pointed toward one resource, the American College Health Association's ACHA, National College Health Assessment 3. The 103-page survey, which consisted of nearly 70,000 nationwide college students' respondents, aims to collect data about, quote, student habits and behaviors on the most prevalent health topics, unquote. The survey asked four questions about gambling disorders, including if the respondent has been diagnosed with a disorder or talked to a healthcare professional about it, each with yes-no responses. Less than 1% of respondents reported ever being diagnosed with a gambling disorder, according to ACHA's Fall 2022 Undergraduate Student Reference Group Executive Summary. Sorensen says CU had 954 respondents to the survey, with no students indicating they had received a gambling disorder diagnosis. National studies contradict those survey results. For example, Yale Medicine says 2 to 7 percent of youths develop a gambling disorder, compared with about 1 percent of adults. It also writes that many gambling disorders begin in adolescence, and college students gamble at higher rates than the general population. NCPG states that about 67% of college students bet on sports, and that students who gamble have higher rates of binge drinking, marijuana use, cigarette use, illicit drug use, and unsafe sex after drinking. In addition, the Mayo Clinic says compulsive gambling can be difficult to treat because, quote, most people have a hard time admitting they have a problem, yet a major part of treatment is working on acknowledging that you are a, a compulsive gambler, unquote. Industry Standard Rather than connecting Boulder Weekly with individuals for further questions on the topic as requested, 
Sorensen either did not answer specific questions or answered with boilerplate responses from the university. For example, the university did not specify how much money was being diverted specifically to gambling addiction resources, or if there was any programming on campus to inform students about problem gambling. When asked if there was a gambling therapist on campus, the university wrote, quote, CU Boulder takes issues of addiction seriously and provides support for any CU Boulder community member seeking recovery through the Collegiate Recovery Center, unquote. Campus resources on the Recovery Center's Support Resources page include student and staff-led substance use workshops, peer wellness coaching, counseling and psychiatric services, and a link to an external problem gambling support organization. Gambling is prohibited in CU Boulder residence halls, and NCAA rules prohibit athletic staff and student athletes from participating in sports betting. On March 28, the American Gaming Association, AGA, announced updates to its responsible marketing code for sports wagering, which, quote, sets the industry standard for responsibility in marketing and advertising of sports betting, unquote. Changes to the code include, quote, enhancing protections for college-aged audiences, unquote, by prohibiting future partnerships between sports betting companies and universities, quote, but do not retroactively affect the ones that are in existence, unquote says Casey Clark, Senior Vice President of AGA. When asked if he was concerned about sports betting on college campuses moving forward, Clark said, quote, We commit hundreds of millions of dollars a year to responsible gaming measures and activities and are fully committed to ensuring that this continues to be entertainment for adults and not to anybody else, unquote. Clark also says Americans have bet on sports as long as there have been sports to bet on, and that the legal sports betting industry is providing regulation and stability to the market by establishing consumer protections and funding problem gambling resources. Steve Hurlbert, Director of Communications at CU Boulder, wrote in an email that breaking off from points bet was unrelated to the AGA's updates. Although CU ended its deal with PointsBet, the University of Denver remains in partnership with sports betting company Superbook Sports. According to DU, the agreement includes, quote, branding, media hospitality, and social media assets with a focus on responsible gaming and education for student athletes, unquote. News. Ease the harm. Tent fires fuel debate on Boulder's camping ban by Will Matuska, April 6, 2023. On a Friday afternoon, student athletes from Boulder High School were practicing at Christian Rect Field. Around 4.30 p.m., people reported hearing, quote, small explosions, unquote. As students evacuated the field on March 17, Boulder Fire Rescue responded to a tent fire, 
there were no known injuries. The department confirmed there were protein, propane tanks, quote, on fire and off-gassing, unquote, at the fire, but was unable to say exactly what started the fire. The tent and everything inside were destroyed. The following Tuesday, the fire department responded to another tent fire near the turf football field under similar circumstances, this time spreading to a nearby tree that got, quote, significantly, unquote, burned according to the fire department's incident summary. From Wednesday night to early Thursday morning, the department responded to five more reports of, quote, unauthorized, quote, fires, those in violation of the city's permanent ban on open burns in unhoused encampments. Fires in encampments do happen but the amount of blazes in mid-March was above average, according to Mario Washburn, public information officer at Boulder Fire Rescue. There were 297 total confirmed fires in Boulder in 2022. That year, the fire department dispatched staff to 95 fires in locations where it typically engages with the unhoused community, including the Boulder Creek Path, Foothills Parkway Corridor, and the Goose Creek Path, according to Washburn. So far this year, there have been 20 reports of unauthorized fire calls to these locations. But Washburn emphasized that those fires weren't all necessarily started by unhoused communities. The department doesn't record data regarding housing status during dispatch calls. Boulder City Council member Nicole Spear says the fires make her concerned for everyone's safety, from the people experiencing homelessness in tents to high school students nearby. People, quote, people need to stay warm if we don't have shelter for them, unquote, says Spear. Quote, People need to stay warm if we don't have shelter for them, unquote, says Spear. Quote, so if we don't want folks to have propane tanks and things that are going to catch on fire, what are we going to do to provide alternatives, unquote? To many in the community, many of whom have different ideas on the subject, this spate of fires highlights Boulder's homelessness problem and the lack of alternatives for people experiencing homelessness. Quote, our current strategy is not working, says Boulder City Council Member Matt Benjamin. A divided community. Since the city cut the number of overnight beds in 2020, Boulder Shelter for the Homeless hasn't had the capacity to provide space for the approximately 450 unhoused residents in the city. The impacts of not providing adequate resources like shelter to people experiencing homelessness has resulted in compounding consequences across the community. Benjamin says it's an, quote, emotional, unquote, topic for divided community members, making already anchored opinions hard to sway. But he thinks that is part of what's prolonged the problem. Quote, 
Each side of the homelessness debate has to recognize that the other side has very valid points and that those needs still need to be met, unquote, he says. Quote, and quite honestly, each side has to be able to give and get in order for us to incrementally make improvements here, unquote. After the fires near Boulder High on March 17, the high school wrote a letter to families and staff on March 21, promising to increase its, quote, security presence, unquote, on paths adjacent to the school. Some parents of Boulder high schoolers are taking it upon themselves to address their safety concerns because of, quote, the lack of leadership and lack of action, unquote, from the, quote, city council, city manager, and BVSD, unquote, according to Safe Zones for Kids, a ballot initiative started by a group of Boulder parents. Safe Zones for Kids was started in October 2022 to establish a, quote, priority enforcement zone, unquote, of ordinances like the camping and propane tank ban 500 feet from school property lines and 50 feet from multi-use paths and sidewalks. Judd Valeski, a Boulder High School parent involved with Safe Zones for Kids, said in a text that he wants to put a buffer between students and, quote, significant adult challenges associated with City of Boulder prohibited items, unquote. According to the city, 354 propane tanks were confiscated between January 2022 and February 2023. The Safe Zones for Kids initiative which has a Boulder Direct Democracy online petition with more than 120 signatures, calls the paths around Boulder High unsafe and says the recent fires show, quote, immediate danger to our students, unquote. If the petition reaches 3,437 signatures, it will be put on the ballot for City of Boulder voters this November. Jennifer Rhodes, a parent of two teenage daughters in the BVSD system who helped start Safe Zones for Kids, says the ballot measure could help protect kids from, quote, harassment and other inappropriate adult behavior, unquote. Quote, we don't want to wait and see what happens while the city continues to ignore its own prioritization matrix and ponder the issue for months on end, unquote, she wrote over email. On its website, the city writes that because Boulder's camping policy enforcement is citywide, a safe zone around schools, quote, would not add to Boulder's enforcement toolkit because camping is already banned near schools and in all other public spaces, unquote. Boulder Fire Chief Michael Calderazzo said in an email that the recent fires are concerning for our community. Quote, we do consider these fires a wildfire start risk, as are any fires that occur in locations or conditions where a fire could spread quickly, unquote, he wrote. As part of its 2023 budget, the city is allocating $1.3 million to its Safe and Managed Spaces program to add an additional, quote, 
encampment management, unquote, team to, quote, keep up with demand, unquote. According to the city, the encampment management team has seen, quote, many successes, unquote, over the last year, including, quote, 389 encampments successfully cleaned, 106 tons of trash removed from public spaces and waterways, over 5,000 downtown graffiti trash removal responses, and 174 connections between people experiencing homelessness and service providers, unquote. On March 29, the city adjusted its policy that gave people participating in unsanctioned camping a 72-hour notice to clean up and leave. Now the city can clear a person or property without notice when a city street or multi-use path obstruction creates a, quote, significant potential for an accident or harm to other path users, unquote. Dan Williams, a Boulder-based attorney representing plaintiffs, plaintiffs in the ACLU's lawsuit challenging the city's camping ban, calls the policy a, quote, cruel and unconstitutional policing first strategy, unquote. Quote, the city knows full well that without safe and welcoming places for people to go, it's just shuffling people from one place to the next, meaning its newly revamped enforcement policy is doomed to fail just as badly as the city's current encampment removal policy, unquote, Williams wrote in an email. Homelessness advocates like Boulder Nonprofit Feed Forward say the city needs more options and resources, including inpatient care to mitigate the rise of unmanaged mental health and addiction rates in the unhoused community. According to its website, the city is still in the design phase of its proposed Homeless Day Services Center after Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, BSH, expressed interest in operating the space. The center would provide a, quote, collection of services, unquote, according to the city's website, but no overnight shelter. Properties are being evaluated for the center's location by the city. Colorado struggle, struggles to offer support for unhoused communities statewide, ranking 45th nationally in prevalence of mental illness, including substance use disorder and access to care. Low-ranked states have high rates of mental illness, lower access to care, according to Mental Health America. News, Troubled Waters, February 16, 2023. Councilmember Speer says there needs to be other options for people experiencing homelessness if, quote, we're not willing to put them in homes or in shelter, unquote. Quote, people are not going to stop being cold if they don't have shelter, unquote, she says. Place to be. Boulder City Council will discuss homelessness at its April 13 meeting. Benjamin says he anticipates discussion around a sanctioned camp zone, something he says has been brought up during his tenure on council before. The idea is to establish a safe area where people experiencing unsheltered homelessness can camp legally, not in public spaces. 
The Colorado Village Collaborative, CVC, is establishing and operating safe outdoor spaces around Denver that are, quote, healthy, secure, staffed, resource and service-rich environments that provide an outdoor, individualized sheltering option for people, unquote, according to the organization's website. These spaces also have resources like bathrooms, showers, electricity, and services like housing and employment referrals. At the beginning of March, Denver City Council approved a $7.5 million contract extension for CVC to operate through 2024. Benjamin says one of the main barriers to establishing that resource in Boulder is figuring out where to put the encampment in a city with few open lots. Quote, at the end of the day, we need to be able to support our unhoused so that they can feel safe, secure, and have a place to be while they're working through trying to get back on their feet and get the services and support they need, unquote, he says. No matter the solution, Benjamin says it isn't realistic to end homelessness. Instead, he hopes to find a balance, unquote, excuse me, quote, we're just trying to ease the suffering and ease the harm for those that are unhoused and find a way to help as many people as we can with the resources we have, unquote, he says, quote, while providing the least amount of harm to the rest of the community. Correction, a previous version of this story conflated safe zones for kids change.org petition, which has more than 2,400 signatures, with its Boulder Direct Democracy Online petition, which has 129, as of the morning of Thursday, April 6. News. Now you know. This week's news in Boulder County and beyond, by Caitlin Roquette, April 6, 2023. Questions arise around complaint process as council member accused of conduct violation. A Boulder City resident has filed a complaint with the city clerk to investigate a possible municipal code violation by council member Nicole Spear. The city council will address this at its April 6 regular meeting. The complaint filed by Emily Reynolds on March 30 alleges that Spear violated code of conduct requirements laid out in the municipal code by testifying on March 1 in support of House Bill 1202, Overdose Prevention Center Authorization. If enacted, the bill would allow municipalities to authorize the operation of an overdose prevention center within the city's jurisdiction. In the written complaint, Reynolds alleges, quote, that Council Member Spears' testimony before the Colorado House Public and Behavioral Health and Human Services Committee occurred prior to any discussion of HB 23-1202 by either the City Council or the Intergovernmental Affairs Committee, and therefore was in fact outside the boundaries and scope of authority granted to individual council members as defined by the city charter and code, unquote. City code maintains that any resident or city employee, quote, 
may initiate an investigation of any city council member, employee, or appointee to a city board, commission, task force, or similar body by filing a sworn statement with the city clerk, unquote. A properly filed complaint must result in an investigation by a specially appointed council. In an email, Deputy City Attorney Aaron Poe called code of conduct complaints like the one filed against Spear, quote, infrequent, unquote. Quote, I am not sure when the last one was filed prior to 2023, unquote, Poe wrote. Quote, the council could pass a motion of censure for this type of complaint. There will be additional costs for the investigation, unquote. Censure is an expression of disapproval and does not carry legal weight. However, it seems code of conduct complaints are on the rise. City Clerk Elisha Johnson says her office is currently processing a total of six code of conduct complaints. According to Speer, she was asked to testify on behalf of the bill by one of the sponsors. She then reached out to Carl Castillo, the city's chief policy advisor on the Intergovernmental Affairs, IGA committee, who Spears says confirmed to her that the city would be supporting the bill. When asked via email whether support for HB 1202 was on the city's legislative policy prior to Spears' testimony on March 1, Castillo responded, quote, arguably it was, in particular, council's stated support for local control, unquote. Feeling, feeling, quote, a little nervous, unquote, Spears says she asked Castillo and Wendy Schwartz, the city's Housing and Human Services Policy Manager, to, quote, edit, unquote, and provide feedback on her testimony prior to presenting it to the Colorado House Public and Behavioral Health and Human Services Committee on March 1. Both Castillo and Schwartz confirmed this. Speer expects the investigation will find that she, quote, followed the protocol, unquote. Quote, if I violated the code by following rules that council is supposed to follow, then we should look at changing our process for the future, unquote, Speer says. Council member Bob Yates says he's, quote, somewhat concerned about the number of, unquote, complaints recently filed. Quote, I don't believe many code of conduct complaints were filed during my first seven years serving on city council, unquote, he wrote via email. Quote, however, we have seen several complaints filed in the first few months of this year on a variety of topics. While it is certainly important that we provide community members an avenue to raise legitimate concerns, if they believe that an elected official or city staff member has acted unethically or illegally, I would be disappointed if the code of conduct complaint system was weaponized to the point where people filed complaints simply because they disagree with a poly policy position, unquote. Yates wrote, quote, Given the unprecedented number of complaints filed during the first few months of this year, I think that we need to take a look at our code of conduct complaint protocols to ensure that they are used for their intended purpose, unquote. 
from Caitlin Rockette. Bounty explores methods to track opioid usage, distribute funds. The Boulder County Regional Opioid Council, BCROC, on March 28, began exploring wastewater testing and opioid mapping plans as methods for pinpointing opioid usage in the county. The council, made up of county, municipal, and elected leaders across the region, is tasked with investing and monitoring the use of more than $17 million in settlement dollars over 18 years to repair damages caused to the region from the opioid epidemic. BCROC is one of 19 councils in Colorado deciding how to allocate the state's portion of the nationwide opioids settlement funds. Quote, we're just at the place of diving into more investigation on this topic, unquote, says Kelly Viet, Boulder County's Behavioral Health Hub Manager and a member of BCROC's Operations Board. Quote, what I can say more generally is that the testing of wastewater for opioids was brought forward as a potential way to both target resources to particular areas and an additional means to help us evaluate our impact on opioid abatement efforts over time." Unquote. At the March 28 meeting, BCROC members discussed a study by the National Institute on Drug Abuse that tested wastewater in North Carolina and found correlations between opioid overdose rates and the detection of treatment or overdose reversal drugs at various sites. However, differentiating illegal and medical use of opioids in wastewater is difficult. The Overdose Detection Mapping Application Program, or ODMAP, could allow BCROC to create a map of opioid overdoses in the county. The web-based program allows first responders to report the location, time, and status, fatal or non-fatal, of an opioid overdose, reducing lag in information sharing at the time of an overdose. Viet says the council needs to do more research before it moves forward with either method. Quote, we're working closely with our partners to investigate a few key questions. Where else has this been done? and to what end? What are the potential resources required in the lifespan of an initiative like this? What does the data look like and how actionable might it be? How could this work pair with or complement some of our region's broader abatement strategies?" Unquote, Viet says. The council meets again on April 28. The public is invited to attend via Zoom at bit.ly slash opioids council. Opinion. Local events highlight youth leadership in mental health crisis by Evangeline Eliason and Nicole Spear, April 6, 2023. In recent weeks, the mental health crisis devastating our nation's youth has been getting much needed attention from the local and national press. For young people and for their parents, educators, health professionals, scientists, and others who
who interact with people under the age of 25 on a regular basis, it feels like it's about time we focused on this growing crisis. We have seen firsthand how young people struggle increasingly under the weight of misogyny, racism, queer phobia, transphobia, and other forms of oppression. We see how record levels of economic inequality and ever-increasing climate disaster, stagnant wages, crippling student loan debt, lack of health care, food insecurity, unaffordable housing, and gun violence erode their well-being and safety. Experts in youth mental health have been raising the alarm for years as reported symptoms of mental illness have skyrocketed, particularly among LGBTQ plus youth and youth of color, especially Black and Indigenous youth. In 2021, Children's Hospital Colorado declared a youth mental health state of emergency due to record numbers of children and youth experiencing mental health crises. In 2021, nearly one quarter of U.S. high school students had seriously considered attempting suicide, and one in 10 high school students had attempted suicide. In the 2020-2021 academic year, more than 60% of college students met criteria for a mental health problem, a 50% rise since 2013. Students of color were the least likely to connect with mental health providers, despite having the biggest increase in mental health challenges. This youth mental health crisis prompted the Colorado legislature to increase funding for mental health services and specifically for youth mental health services in 2021 and 2022. And there are myriad mental health related bills moving through the legislature in 2023. The city of Boulder recently allocated $2.5 million to stabilize and expand the mental health staff workforce needed to serve Boulder community members. But many of these changes are years away from having any impact, and given the dearth of training programs that equip mental health providers with the knowledge of how systemic oppression interacts with mental health and the tools needed to address the inequities in our healthcare system, they are unlikely to help the youth and young adults who are most in need of mental health services. As peers, caregivers, relatives, friends, and community members, these statistics may leave you wondering, what can we do? One solution, often ignored by adults in positions of authority and power, is to listen to and support the inherent wisdom of youth and young adults. Gen Z is in a better place than even millennials in terms of their openness to talking about mental health, but it is still seen as scary and taboo. In our own community, we can see examples of young adults creating spaces to talk about their experiences with mental health on their own terms through community-centered programs that raise awareness and build connections. Creativity Alive's SEEN, S-E-E-N, collaboration, a high school-led mental health-focused arts project, will open at Ozo on East Pearl this Friday, April 7, at 5.30 p.m. On Saturday, April 8, Project KIND, led by one of the authors, 
CU senior Evangeline Eliason will be raising awareness about mental health and suicide prevention through a 5K run walk roll, 11 a.m., and an open mic night talent showcase, 6 p.m. Register at bit.ly slash project kind, P-R-O-J-E-C-T-K-I-N-D. The 5K event is open to the entire community and is intended to encourage everyone to practice getting outside, moving around, and taking care of themselves, all things that are especially hard to do when people are experiencing mental health struggles. The Open Mic Night Talent Showcase is also open to the public and local singers, poets, and performers, and is intended to help people find a way to process and express their experiences with mental health through different art forms. We often think of the experience of mental illness and the treatment of mental health problems at the level of individuals, but the inherent wisdom of youth-led and youth-centered efforts is in their recognition that a crisis arising from increasingly challenging societal problems needs solutions that are grounded in community. We hope you will show up to support these youth-led activities and those that will follow. We hope you will also support groups in the community that are youth and young adult-led and community-centered, such as Natural Highs, the Center for African and African American Studies, and Out Boulder County's youth programs. Our youth and young adults need more from our community than simply allocating money to behavioral health services that help them cope with the existential threats prior generations created. They need our solidarity and our support for their solutions. Ms. Evangeline Eliason is a senior at the University of Colorado Boulder majoring in psychology and minoring in political science and sociology, who researches healing among marginalized youth for the Voice of Healing Project at the Rene Crown Wellness Institute and is the organizer of Project KIND. Dr. Nicole Spear is a director of research services for the Institute of Cognitive Science at the University of Colorado Boulder and a member of Boulder City Council. She has studied and published research on college student mental health. Both authors are writing in their personal capacities and encourage readers to get comfortable asking the people in their lives some version of two critical questions in suicide prevention. Quote, have you thought about hurting yourself? Unquote. And quote, do you have a plan? Unquote. As well as to know that 988 is the number to call to reach the 24-7 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Cuisine, Nibbles, Unboxing Local Flavors by John Landorf, April 6, 2023. There is a lot to loathe about services like Blue Apron that deliver meal prep boxes. During the height of the pandemic, lots of us tried these services out only to be appalled by the pile of plastic trash and cardboard left behind. Convenience was nice, but many of the bagged ingredients 
didn't seem to be local, in season, or sustainably produced. At the price, the meal boxes seemed like a waste, literally and figuratively. When a new boxed meal service came to town recently, with a promise to shift the paradigm and deliver food in a saner way, healthy skepticism was in order. Spade and Spoon at spadespoon.com, S-P-A-D-E-S-P-O-O-N.com, delivers local first sustainably oriented meal kits weekly to homes from Denver to Fort Collins, with its largest concentration of customers in Boulder. Quote, our goal is to serve a region and get as much good food delivered from that place to homes as possible, unquote, says Joy Ruby, who founded Spade and Spoon in Denver in 2022. The meals come with freezer packs and recycled boxes that can be returned and reused. When I decided to try out Spade and Spoon recently, it was clear that the service was not a startup figuring out logistics on the fly. It was hard not to be impressed by the thoughtfulness behind everything from the ordering system to the recipes. That's because Ruby and her company had already spent more than a decade figuring out the details. Feeding Families, Saving Farms in 2011, Ruby was an architect and mom of a two-year-old trying to market produce from her husband's farm in Washington State at farmer's markets. Quote, when the farmer's markets shut down for the season, for so many food people, it shuts down their income, unquote, she says. Quote, how do you build a sustainable business that way, unquote. At the same time, Ruby was on the other side of the food equation. I wanted to serve good, healthy food to my family, but I wasn't an excellent cook. I didn't have time to shop or meal plan, unquote, she says. The answer to both problems came together in Acme Farms Plus Kitchen. Opened in 2011 in the Pacific Northwest, it was one of the nation's first local first meal kit delivery services. Quote, we felt like we could move a lot of local food if we made it easy on the farmers and producers, minimized packaging and food waste, and made it easy to access for consumers and affordable, unquote, Ruby says. The system was dialed in and road tested before Spade and Spoon was launched in Colorado. First, this isn't for you if you need instant gratification and can't plan meals ahead. Quote, we chose from the beginning not to do quick delivery on demand, unquote, Ruby says. Quote, we do that for sustainability and for the producers. Customers order a week ahead. The farms and producers only make what we order, so there's no waste or returns. We keep farmers on the farm and producers in the kitchen by doing all the pickup and delivery, unquote. By only delivering once a week, the number of delivery trips to the same neighborhood is reduced, she says. How to unbox a local meal. I put aside my qualms and shopped a week ahead of time for a spade and spoon box. The ordering portal offers one-time delivery or a subscription service. 
With a weekly menu of 18 to 20 rotating meals drawn from a roster of more than 900 chef-tested recipes, Spade and Spoon customers can choose a la carte meals or pre-selected themed boxes such as vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, and gluten and dairy-free. The Family Classics box includes three meals that serve four people each. Ingredients are primarily sourced from dozens of Colorado's family farmers, ranchers, bakers, and artisan food and beverage makers, including Buckner Family Farms, Haystack Mountain Cheese, Pastificio, and Project Umami. When my box arrived, it was a little like Christmas or one of those unboxing videos on YouTube. My spade and spoon order featured an easy pasta meal from Denver's Sofglina. I dropped nests of their fresh mafaldine, long ribbiting noodles made from semolina and turkey red heirloom wheat, into boiling salted water. After draining, I simmered them in Sfoglina's ready-to-heat bolognese sauce. It was so thick with local ground beef and pork, I thinned it out with the tasty pasta cooking water. Topped with grated Parmesan, the hearty herbed flavor of the sauce filled the chewy ruffles on the pasta, making for a truly happy meal. Extra sauce topped slices of true sourdough bread baked by Denver's Hearth Bakery using Moxie Bread Company flour. As a biscuit lover, I had to order the kit with freshly made biscuit mix, dated and packed in a paper sack. The recipe turned out perfectly fluffy biscuits ready for unsalted butter and a jar of Bjorn's Colorado honey. The most complicated dish was sag tofu, or bean curd in curried spinach sauce. Firm tofu, fresh spinach and collard greens, tomato paste, cashews, fresh ginger and garlic cloves, plus basmati rice and a spice blend were provided. The only item required from my pantry was vegetable oil, but I opted to use the optional vegetable broth and coconut cream. Yes, there were multiple prep and cooking steps requiring attention to detail, but it was more than worth it for a high flavor feast. As someone who has written, edited, and published hundreds of recipes, I enjoyed the fact that the accompanying spade and spoon recipes were well-written in clear steps. They detailed what is supplied, what the cook needs from the pantry, and optional ingredients that can be added. Recently, Spade and Spoon's online marketplace expanded its offerings with a marketplace of hard-to-find local taste treats, such as Colorado Springs Sawatch Artisan Foods Cheddar Cheese, Thick Yogurt from Five Freedoms Dairy, Locally Made DAR and Bibamba Chocolates, and Rancho Largo Ribeye Steaks. Quote, when you have a system that keeps local producers open, you support regional food resiliency. You begin to have a sustainable food system, unquote, Ruby says. Paste of the week, tie with a twist. The extract of the pretty Anchan plant, known as the butterfly pea flower, adds a transformative magic to a simple beverage. My cobalt glue glass of lemonade turned shades of violet as lemon juice was swirled in at Anchan Thai restaurant. 
everything I tasted recently at the Longmont Eatery, 1325 Dry Creek Drive, provided a slight twist on standard Thai dishes. My rod na was a captivating bowl of chewy, wide rice noodles tossed with fermented bean sauce, egg, collard greens, veggies, and chicken. The complex, slightly sweet flavor was brightened by an unexpected ingredient, whole green peppercorns on the branch. My dining partner's northern Thai jungle curry was a spicy soup rather than a creamy sauce, packed with green beans, carrots, bell peppers, and those tasty little round Thai eggplants. Its big flavor infusion was provided by red curry, Thai basil, lime leaves, and finger root, a ginger galangal relative. We also enjoyed fried roti, hot, thin, crispy wedges of flatbread ready to dip in a craveable peanut sauce. Events in person. Radical Lafayette, exploring the violence amid 1920s coal mining strike. Friday, April 7th, Saturday, April 8th, or Wednesday, April 12th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. At the Lafayette History Museum, 108 East Simpson Street, Lafayette, Colorado. Free. The Lafayette History Museum's newest exhibit, Radical Lafayette, The Colorado Coal Strike of 1927-28, explores an era when the industrial workers of the world, IWW, or Wobblies, fanned the flames of discontent. All eyes were on Lafayette as the town became the center of the Wobblies' radical and militant workers' rights movement. The exhibit features the roles played by women and the Ku Klux Klan. During the 1927-28 coal strike, protesters, about half of them Latino, regularly marched through the company town of Serene, where the Columbine mine had continued operating. But on November 21, 1927, the gates to the mine were locked, and when the crowd refused to disperse, state police opened fire killing six and injuring dozens. No charges were ever brought against the police, predominantly Klansmen, whom Colorado Governor Billy Adams had recently designated strike police. Women were an important part of the union movement. They led marches, organized protests, and spoke at union meetings. Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, one of the women who helped launch the 1927-28 strike earned the nickname Rebel Girl, a moniker later adopted by the choir of young girls who sang at every union meeting, always free, Wednesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Event, Tales for Tots. Monday, April 10, 10.30 to 11, Thursday, April 13, 9.30 to 10, Monday, April 17, 10.30 to 11, Erie Community Library, 400 Powers Street, Erie, Colorado. Call 888-861-7323. Tales for Tots is a story time for children ages 18 months to three years and their caregivers. It features books, songs, and actions 
designed to develop early literacy skills and a love for reading. Children will develop listening skills, allowing them to participate with the storytellers and the other children in the group. Seating will be on a first-come, first-served basis, so please arrive early. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.